Welcome to the Law Blacks one-to-one podcast. My name's Chris Allen and I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. I've worked in West Yorkshire for over 25 years and during that time I've met some very interesting people in both the business world and the sports world. After a short break courtesy of COVID-19 restrictions, I'm now looking forward to catching up with some more of those people and sharing with you some of their opinions, advice and stories. As ever, I hope you find these interviews interesting, engaging and even educational. Following tradition, I also want to give a nod to Pete Bott of his band Deuce and Charger because they very kindly allow us to use their music at the start and end of the podcast. So, Pete, thanks again for that. My guest today is Roy Mason, the manager of Steeton AFC. The club has numerous teams across various age groups and the first team play in the North West Counties Football League. The club recently hit the news with its decision to relocate to Marley Stadium near Keithley, and no doubt Roy can tell us all about that in a moment. Described as driven, committed and stylish, by himself I might add, I'm looking forward to discussing non-league football with Roy and what it takes for a non-league club to operate in normal conditions, let alone subject to the COVID-19 restrictions. Roy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, Steeton AFC, uh, I'm aware of it. You're aware of it. Shane here, who's editing this podcast, is aware of it. Some people won't be. Where Where is Steeton AFC? Talk to me about the league and just tell me a bit of history about the club. Yeah, I mean, Steeton itself is situated um, sort of just outside of Keithley, um, sort of three quarters of the way between Keithley and Skipton. It's a small little village. Uh, the club's been in existence since 1905, um, where it actually started playing football in what is now uh, the grounds of uh, Airedale Hospital, or just on the side of Airedale Hospital. Um, and it was literally a farmer's field that they used to play in. They played in that till 1969. Very primitive change in facilities that the club had as well. Um, they actually had sort of small tin baths for the guys just to basically wash the faces and things like that but uh, in those days if you wanted to get a full bath you had to nip in the beck next to the pitch and actually uh, <laughs> sit yourself down in the beck to get uh, to get clean but um, I think from talking to some of the older members of the committee over the years one of the problems they used to have before the game was actually moving the cattle off the pitch <laughs> so you can imagine what the playing surface was like if uh, there was cattle grazing on it for uh, six days of the week before the football came around on a Saturday but uh, obviously when the hospital was built in 69 the club had to move and uh, very grateful to uh, the Wells family who lived opposite to uh, put the ground in trust with the parish council on behalf of us. So uh, the club's been at Summerhill Lane um, since 1969 and obviously when the club moved two years ago to the northwest counties, unfortunately for us the uh, facility there wouldn't pass the ground grading, the pitch was too small and it was highly unlikely we'd get planning permission for floodlights down there. So we then entered a ground share with Keithley Cougars, um, which got us into the North West Counties League. And we played for two seasons down at Cougar Park. And uh, of course, as you've just mentioned there, Chris, we've now moved or will be moving for next season down to Marley Stadium. You know, you don't hear many clubs move, or I don't, haven't come across many clubs moving around. Everybody thinks of Milton Keynes, don't they? Moving up from uh, what was old Wimbledon, I think. Um, so how how do you go about moving a club or finding a ground? I mean, the... I suspect there aren't tons of places you can go, are there? No, it's uh, it's not an easy task. I mean, obviously, the reason we picked Cougar Park initially was because Cougar Park was a venue that was already there. Um, 
it hit all the criteria in terms of what was needed for step six football so we didn't really need to do any work to upgrade that um, of course we had to purchase things like uh, goal posts and uh, things like that so we just make the ground ready for football our ground staff had to do quite a bit of work to get the pitch uh, converted more from a rugby surface to a football playing surface um, but we saw an opportunity a couple of years ago with the northwest counties expanding to three divisions so we thought now's as good a time as any and if we don't strike now then we might not get this opportunity again because um, under normal circumstances you couldn't use a ground chair to gain a promotion um, but we got special dispensation from the FA because it wasn't a promotion as such it was actually an expansion of the league so we we moved on that one um, but uh, initially we signed a three-year deal with Keithley Cougars um, halfway through last season their new board of directors decided they wanted to go down a different route um, gave us notice that at the end of the season they wouldn't be renewing it which you know obviously that was that's their prerogative to do that but it did put us into a little bit of a fix really because in order for us to uh, continue to be playing on the non-league pyramid we would needed a ground that would have hit um, step six so you know we spoke to the council um, had quite a few meetings with them to see what pitches were available but of course the problem that we had um, under normal circumstances your ground grading would need to be all approved by the 31st of March. Now, Coos had given us notice of termination in October, so it didn't give us long to actually find a new venue within Keithley that would meet all the criteria. In fact, it was near on impossible. Um, but huge credit to the council because the council, uh, you know, were very amenable to what we suggested uh, to working with us. Um, and we actually quickly between us worked out that Marley Stadium, actually the AstroTurf pitch which was down there, was actually ticking quite a lot of the boxes in its current format. There was just a few things we needed to do in terms of getting a stand in there, getting uh, turnstiles, dugouts, and of course the pitch needs replacing because it's been down there for 16 years. Well, I've worn that out. That's why, <laughs> that's why I play every Thursday night, if anybody's ever interested. Yeah, I think it's just that little spot around the centre circle yeah, that uh, you probably right. haven't moved from, Chris. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, no, it's, they've, they've been great with us on that and really worked with us. But obviously, the fact that it was enclosed, the fact that it already had floodlights, meant that, yes, we had to do quite a lot of work in the short term. Um, and obviously, if we'd have known about COVID-19 in... So at the end of the year we would have probably had a little bit longer to do that but uh, yeah most of the things are, are in place now um, we've we had a meeting with the council again last week and Robbie Moore who's the the new MP for Keithley and Ilkley was down with us and, and back in our bid uh, obviously the Covid situation has delayed things a little bit uh, not necessarily uh, just the work on the pitch but obviously other things that have uh, taken a little bit of a backseat with us but at the moment the biggest thing is not knowing when the football season is going to start mm. uh, the FA have said that their ground grade deadline now is still the 31st of March. So we're going to be in a position where we're going to have to work with the Northwest counties in terms of sending them pictures with work that's been done um, and having conversations because at the moment they're still not in a position to come out and actually do the ground grading. Yeah. This podcast is, needless to say, sponsored by Black Solicitors. Blacks is a law firm based in Leeds, and we provide a range of commercial, property and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast.
and, and what's the reaction of the fans been and the other members within the club? I mean, we're talking as if it's a completely united uh, decision and everybody's with it. What have, what have the fans had to say about the move to Marley? Well, I think everybody's been enthused by it. For those people that don't really know Keithley, Marley's sort of the spiritual home of football within Keithley. So, you know, anyone who's played football in Keithley has played at Marley and sometimes there's numerous pitches down there. Um, so I think everyone realised that when you've got a rugby pitch and you've got a football pitch, it's always going to be very difficult um, because the surface that the rugby guys require is totally different to a, a surface that the football guys require. Um, and also, you know, it's never easy when you're a tenant with somebody, you know, because obviously that rugby league is a priority at Cougar Park and rightly so. Um, you know, so for us, we were always going to play second fiddle anyway. But what Marley actually gives us being the anchor tenant is a football stadium that's just a football stadium. So we know obviously there's there's no other sports going to be played down there really. Um, and the fact that it's a state-of-the-art artificial pitch will be means there's pretty much no ground maintenance on it as well. But the good thing about it for me is it's not just a great thing for Steen as a football club, it's also for Keithley as a community. Mm. Because since the old centre pitch at Marley was, uh, was taken up when the bypass was put in, I think in the early 80s, Keithley itself has never really had a pristine facility where people can play football, where they can hold local cup finals, where they can have representative team games. They've always had to take those matches out of Keithley. So to me, if you're a young footballer and you aspire to play football in your hometown and there's no facility to do that, then what chance have you got? And I hear there are plans to not only uh, sort of develop the ground a bit with, in conjunction with yourselves, but the whole thing of Marley is a sporting centre. I understand that there's plans to sort of improve all the facilities there. What? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, the from what we gather from the council, yeah, the whole thing is uh, is up for regeneration as well. Um, I think one of the plans that they want to do is increase the size of the sports hall, for example, and lay new turf in that. Um, and again, you know, none of these things I think are actually confirmed yet. But I know from talking to the council, they want it to be a more modern place that people can go down and watch. I think gone are the days where if you drop your child off to a training session, you're going to stand there in the pouring rain where there's no <laughs> shelter. You know, so I think th people are wanting more modern facilities down there. The grass pitches themselves, I know, are going to get some upgrading as well. Probably things like the goalposts that have been around there for years are going to get some upgrading and actually make it more of a, an enjoyable pursuit down there because, you know, the place, to be honest, is looking pretty tired at the moment. Mm. Yeah, worn out. Yeah, um, literally. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. So tell us about your role as manager, Roy. I, I, I see you and I see you active on social media and I... I bump into you and I think to myself, you know, how, how much time must that take up? You know, you, you hold down a job. You've got a, you know, you've got a real job. Yeah. Um, just tell us about the role of manager then, because I sense, I almost sense that the role of manager of Steeton probably involves doing some things that Jurgen Klopp wouldn't have to do. Uh, and it, and I do wonder where you, you get any spare time at all. Yeah, I think... Um, if you actually analysed and you looked at the hours that you put into it, you'd probably think if someone offered you the job, I can't take that job because I haven't got the time to do it. However, it just becomes a part of your life. You know, I've probably done the job now for 13 years and the, the more I've done it, the club's grown as a consequence as well. You know, um, I think if you're a manager at this level, one of the first things I realised when I took the job, if I wanted some better training facilities, I wanted better kit, I wanted tracksuits, I wanted to up the professionalism, I couldn't go to the committee and say to them, 
can I have some money for this because the club didn't have the money for it. So I quickly worked out that, right, well, if I want to increase the professionalism of the club and I want the club to go in this way, then I've got to go out and raise the funds to do that. Um, so that was obviously how I'd started off doing sponsorship. But that said, every club I'd been involved with, even when I was a player at 19 years old, I've always been involved in committees and fundraising. So it must be something that's... <laughs> That's sort yeah. of in me as well, and you know, one of the things I always like doing is, is doing a deal, and uh, you know, working with people. Can we, um, you know, fill our sponsorship allocation? Can we do some some good deals for the club? But I'm very lucky at the moment. Since we've gone into the northwest counties, we've actually managed to increase our team behind uh, the scenes as well. You know, we've got Chris Jones, who's got his own media company, who's now come on board, and Chris is looking after things like the website, the program. He's doing uh, a lot of the social media stuff as well. You know, which. When you get to this level, you just can't do all those kind of things no. which you could do when you were an amateur club. So Chris has taken that on to a new level as well. You know, he's done a fantastic job with that. Um, Pete Jeffrey's been the chairman now for the past couple of seasons. And again, Pete's taken a lot of work off me. Um, he's very hands-on. He's got his own business within Keithley as well. So Pete's very much a doer. So, you know, Phil Briggs is our secretary. He's, he does a lot of work behind the scenes quite a shy and assuming unassuming kind of guy really but you know Phil's probably one of the most unsung heroes of the club because in the times we've been with in the northwest counties I think we've had one fine for for missed paperwork or something whereas yeah. we get the minutes through and the some teams are getting fined left right and <laughs> yeah, centre for well, it so yes I wouldn't um, say that yeah well, yeah well, but I think at, yeah, at, at this level you are involved in everything because a, a smaller club like Steen it doesn't have that infrastructure yeah. you have to get involved you have to get your hands dirty and you know I get a lot of uh, people who will speak to me, maybe they want to get into management, talking about how you get into management and what does it actually entail. And I just tell them, actually, the football side of it is only a small proportion of it. There's so much more stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You know, these last few weeks I've been ordering kit, I've been ordering the tracksuits. You know, we sorted a new deal out with the sponsor for the tracksuits, obviously. You're involved a lot with the negotiations and the talks and the meetings with Marley about how that's progressing. Um, have liaisons with obviously we've had to appoint a new reserve team manager so we've been sorting all that out through the summer so that's all my pick you know who the guy is we bring in that's down to me because he's got to work with the first team and he's got to work in terms of the remit that we want to go uh, as a football club I get involved you know going down to watch some of the junior games as you know I've seen yourself mm, down yeah, there Chris as well, well. so um, yeah it's it's all encompassing but the thing for me is I love about Steeton is I live in Steeton myself so you know, I've got a great sense of pride to being Steeton manager, you know, because I live in Steeton and, you know, I enjoy sort of doing something that puts back into the community. But it, it's not just the people I've spoken about. You know, we've got a guy called Albert Bates, who's this in the, uh, the up and coming season will be his 60th season with the club. You wow. know, he joined the club as a, a 14 year old. Um, Still playing. Uh, yeah, he just managed two sub appearances last yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good um, on him. But no, he's he pretty much held every position from a player. He's been the manager. He's been secretary. He's now club president of uh, of Steeton, uh, and he does the groundwork at Summerhill Lane. You know, and you, you look at people like that have virtually dedicated the whole life to the football club. Yeah, you know, um, we've seen in the last few years since we've gone on a lot of the committee members' wives get involved. You know, my own wife, Pete's wife, um, Phil Briggs's wife. They're all involved on uh, on a Saturday down at the game, doing the hospitality for the visiting officials, serving teas, coffees, yeah. you know. So it's really become a, a big family, um, you know. And the people that have come into the club have been of the same like mind. So it's it's a real family club. And I think when you've got everyone pulling in that same direction, it almost 
pushes you to do that a little bit more yeah. as well. And what about the actual managing the team? I mean, you know, I, 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 I coach and I suppose manage my lad's football team. I find myself out on a Saturday night with friends in the past zoning out of that conversation thinking am I going to play Freddie at right back or is it Jack or you know uh, how consuming is it for you the, the and, mental and side is the thing that people don't see because yes you do and and one of the things obviously with this uh, enforced break that we've had it's actually given you a little bit of downtime um, because yeah I lie at work at night and I'm thinking about formations I'm thinking about <laughs> systems I'm thinking about is he going to recover from that injury on Saturday if he doesn't who are we going to play in that position and of course as well you'll maybe get cry-offs, you know, whilst it is a semi-professional league, lads do have other commitments as well, so it may be that somebody unexpectedly has to work on a Saturday, and you've got to deal with that on a Saturday morning. <coughs> we, you know, we may be travelling away to, to Liverpool or up to Cumbria on a Saturday, and somebody can't get out of work for the meet time. So you've got to adjust your squad accordingly for that as well. Um, and managing people is the biggest thing, you know. Um, it always makes me laugh when I see these clubs advertise for a manager and they want them to have UA for B coaching well to me the difference between a manager and a coach is two totally separate jobs the coach is coach whereas the managers manage um and i'm very lucky that i've got sort of brian blackwell working with me who was at guysley working with their youth team in silston you know brian's ua for b qualified i've just brought adam smith back into the coaching staff as well and that then allows me to do everything i think uh, to do, concentrate on the other things because i think one of the things i, f I did when i was a younger manager uh, and this is a mistake I think a lot of young managers make. You think you have to do everything. Yeah. You think you have to do all the coaching. You have to make all the decisions. And actually, no, you don't. You have to sometimes take a bit of a step back mm. and bring people in. Managing is about bringing good people in around you. And also, as well, bringing people in that are maybe better at certain aspects of the job than you are. Um, so I've never been afraid to bring sort of strong characters into the club or people that... I think, you know, from the outside, some people might see them, maybe they're a threat to my own job. But for me, it's about what's best for Steeton Football Club. And if we bring these people into the club and they can help progress the club, then then that's what it's all about. So so how do you cope with success and disappointment then? On a on a Saturday, Steeton have won 3-1, comfortable win, really, the odd howler say... How, how are you that evening? If I bump into you that night, you're going to be vastly different to how you are today. Yeah, listen, if we've won, if we've won, um, you know, being a stereotypical Yorkshire, I don't like to get my hand in my pocket at the bar too much. But uh, if we've won, Chris, I'm, uh, I'm buying you a pint and, yeah. uh, you know, we're going to have a good night. We'll have a bit of a laugh. If we've lost, in all honesty, I don't want to go out. Yeah. Um, you, football really can make or break your weekend and uh, you know for people that are not involved in the game I think that's maybe a little bit hard to understand but anyone who's involved in football and certainly as a manager it makes or breaks your weekend as a player you were disappointed when you lost of course you were um, but I also knew as a player that maybe win draw or lose we'd all go out together after the game we'd have a few beers and we'd sort of console each other and we'd, have a, we'd end up having a bit of a laugh and a good night but as a manager, you feel a lot more responsible. You feel like you've let everybody down. You feel like you've let the supporters down. You feel like you've let the committee down. And, you know, I want to win. You know, I don't like losing. Um, I said to Adam Smith when we first went into the Northwest Counties is that we're not going to win as much as we did when we were in the uh, County Amateur League. So we've got to prepare ourselves for disappointments. And we made a pact that we wouldn't get too excited if we won, but we wouldn't get too down if we lost. Well, I think that went out the window after about a month. <laughs> um, it's very difficult to actually do that. But I think sometimes you've 
probably as I've got a little bit older, I've managed to do that a little bit better, that you've got to try and put things into perspective. Um, and equally as well, it's not fair to your family and your friends if uh, you've got a night out arranged on the Saturday night and uh, you're just sat there with a face like thunder. Um, yeah. But yeah. It is, it's difficult. It really is difficult to sort of switch off. And, uh, you know, if you've had a good win, then it's, everything's good. But equally as well, a lot of managers will tell you that you don't actually enjoy watching the game. <laughs> it's not an enjoyable experience, which sounds really bizarre for somebody that loves football. You know, you don't enjoy watching the game. You don't, um, you just feel gutted if you lose, and it's almost just relief when you win. Yeah. It's only, you know, th there are some times I enjoy the game where we may be 4 0 up and there's 10 minutes to go. You sit back and you think, yeah, I'm enjoying this one. But uh, yeah. yeah, anything can happen. I remember a couple of years ago when we went up. Going in at half time, I think we were um, we were leading Salts at half time six nil, and uh, we ended up scoring in the ninety second minute to draw seven apiece. <laughs> it was the most bizarre game of football, and I thought at half time even we can't throw this one away, and we managed to do it. Yeah, so. I was going to say I'd uh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for your half time team talk, but uh, so do you think is there a, is there any risk to Steeton and similar clubs? that they can overextend, you know, desperate to get promoted? Can they? Can you get yourselves into a league where, A, you can't compete, you can't afford the players, and as a result, the club's in financial difficulty? I mean, is there a... What's holding... Who's holding your reins when you're enthusiastic? Who's holding your reins on the, on the money? Well, in terms of, of how we work as a club, you know, we have um, our main committee where all the volunteers are on, and then we have a North West Counties committee where it's... Uh, Sort of, there's five of us on there where we all pretty much discuss finances and uh, and what we're going to do. We've always built, and you know, I've always been really pro that Steeton is a self-sustainable model. You know, we don't try and live beyond our means. We don't try and gamble on getting promotion. Um, we could throw a lot of money at it and get promoted, but then we'd have to throw even more money at it to try and stay where we are and, and try and progress. You know, what we've got to really look at as a club is that we're self-sustainable, that we can be a club where local players want to come and play for us and that we're actually, any monies we get in, we invest that money wisely as well. We don't just give that money to mercenary footballers that will leave for another five or ten pounds if uh, a team down the road knocks on the door. So we've got to be really careful about how we, we balance that. And, of course, one of the, the sad things for a lot of clubs this year is obviously with the season being null and void, it's really impacted them in terms of finances because... Mm -hmm especially in our league this year because there was four teams due to get promotion because there's a new step four league being uh, amalgamated. So as a consequence of that, they need more teams pushing up to actually fill this new step four league. So it was a once in a probably lifetime that four teams were going to get promoted. So there was a lot of teams in our league heavily invested to be one of those four promotion places. And of course, that's now been null and void. Well, they're not going to get that money back because it's already been spent on players. And the other hard thing for everyone at this level is going to be sponsorship because the sponsors are just not going to be there in the same amount that they have been for the last few seasons. And even if some businesses have got that money, they may be in a position where they've had to furlough staff, they've had to maybe, in worst cases, make staff redundant. Well, how does it look suddenly if they've made a few staff redundant and then the next week they're announcing they've done a big sponsorship deal with Steeton? From a PR point of view, it's not very good and clubs need to cut the cloth accordingly. And I think as a club, it would be tough for us, but we would be, it would be one of the few clubs in the northwest counties that would actually be able to operate behind closed doors. Mm. And there's not a lot of clubs probably could no. do that. I got that, I got that impression in recent months. Mm. 
So what about your players? It's interesting you said that point about wanting local people to play for the club. And I know you've got teams at all sorts of level, but in terms of the first team, I mean, where do you find these players? Where do they come from? Do they come from local, you know, just living in the locality? Or do you actually look further afield? Do you go, do you go scouting or what do you, how do you get them? Yeah, it's, um, there's a various ways that you, you sort of attract players. Obviously, when we're a county amateur team, it was very much based around Keithley players, um, Steeton, Silsden as well. If a lad came from Skipton, that was probably a bit of a trip for him, really. But, yeah, they were all pretty much local lads. But as you get to a higher level um, and you get on the pyramid, you then become a little bit more of an attractive opposition uh, proposition for, for young lads who want to get, to get on and really want to make a career for themselves in non-league football. Now, there's two routes to go down for me, Chris. You can go down the route where you spend the money and you invest and you pay players, which some clubs have gone down that route. Or you try and look at young, keen, hungry players. And that's the route we've tried to go down, is looking at young, keen, hungry players who maybe see Steeton as a chance for them to come to a club and get regular football and progress and then hopefully... You know, we can help them progress to play at a higher standard. And what age are these then? They're coming to you at what, 17, well, 18? Sixteen, anything from 16, so 16, 17, 18, 19. Um, you know, we've picked up, uh, up latterly a couple of lads from Geisley who had come through their junior systems, but there wasn't, unfortunately, anything for them there. But they've come to us because they realise, well, actually, if I go to a club, you know, I've got a good chance of playing. And one of the things, that's, pieces of advice I give to any young player, no matter where they are, always be playing. Go to a club where you're going to play football because it's no good you being at a club at a higher level if you're on the bench and you're not getting on or you're just part of a squad and a lot of weeks you're sat in the stands watching them. That's not helping your football development. Yeah. So sometimes you maybe have to take a little bit of a step backwards and establish yourself and get the experience of playing senior football to then progress. So that's what we've, we've tried to do as well because I've always worked on the principles that a player joining your club has to see that as a positive move. If he sees it as a good move that he's coming to your club and it's a step in the right direction, it's going to be win-win. If you get a player who's coming to your club thinking he's doing you a favour and Stephen are lucky to have me here, you know, and I'm on a bit of a wind-down, it's wasting everyone's time because you won't get anything out of them. And generally, those lads are not the best lads having around the changing rooms either. And so, that, sorry, and, and how sort of... How disciplined, uh, you know, disciplined do you ask the players to be at this level about what they eat, what they drink? Um, you know, are you? Can you even enforce that? You know, what? what, what no. If I if I turn up today as your new signing, bit of a surprise, obviously, fifty-two, but still, um, I've I've just turned up. I'm on the right wing. What are you going to say to me about how I conduct my life? Well, before we sign any new player, we actually do a little back, bit of background to them anyway, because. Um, in the non-league football, generally managers across the teams are really good. We all get on well with each other. We all ring each other up for a little bit of advice and we talk to each other. And that's another way to actually how you, you get uh, players because you tend to build up a network of managers. Maybe at, for me, obviously at high levels, it's massively important. And I can speak to you know, guys maybe at Harrogate, Bradford Park Avenue, Geisley, clubs like that. And they'll maybe say to me, look, Roy, we've got this lad here. 17, 18, he's probably not ready for us. He might benefit from coming to you for a couple of seasons. Um, so it works like that, really. So generally, the younger players that come in now are not like the players when sort of the likes of you and I played, Chris. They've got a little bit more idea about drinking, looking after themselves, dietary requirements, keeping fit. So they're already sort of grown up with that. 
So it's not as, as, as difficult as you, you would think. But equally as well as a manager, I've also got to recognise these lads are only one level above amateur status. It's step six football. It's not conference no. or conference north. So I've got to be realistic that, you know, we don't pay them anything bar a win bonus. So they're not contracted. So I can't enforce to them that you must stay in on the Friday night. You must eat this. You, you no. must do that. The only thing I can say to them as young footballers is it's like anything in life you'll get out of it what you're prepared to put into it. And if you want to go out on a Friday night and you still want to have a few beers, then don't expect to be able to perform at this level. And equally, if I find out you have been out, then don't expect to play, mm. you know, because you're letting me down, you're letting the team down. Most importantly, you're letting yourself down. And one of the things as a manager or a coach at this level is actually, can you get that little bit more out of a player? Can you take him to a place he didn't think he was going to get to? Can you improve him? And I've said to all the players, you know, sometimes I might, you might think I'm being harsh with you. You might think I'm having a go at you. But the time to worry is when I stop having a go at you and I'm stop being harsh on you because that almost says I've given up on you. Mm. Um, but I'm being harsh sometimes because I want to get that little bit out of them, that there's more to, I know there's more in there that they can give me, that they can give for themselves, and as a consequence, they'll be a better player. Um, so it's, it's not too difficult, but like I said, we've got to be realistic. I mean, the, one of the worst days for us is Boxing Day. Boxing Day fixture is a nightmare <laughs> because, you know, some of the lads as well, they've maybe got family commitments or we've got family due on this, and you've got to say, well, unfortunately you're gonna to have to try and get out of it because we've got a game on boxing day mm. uh, but i do understand probably the pressures for them as well and to sort of say to them well christmas day lad don't be having a beer you mm. know mind what you eat don't be shoving yourself a christmas pudding and all that yeah. you you have got to you've got to be mindful and i think you've always got to treat players like adults you can't treat them like children you've got to treat them like adults you've got to talk to them you've got to be upfront with them but equally as well you've got to accept certain things and I think if you try and be too regimented with them it's difficult and I think I see certain uh, instances where maybe professional footballers drop down to step six as a manager and they really struggle with it um, because the players are not used to professional standards no. because they're not professionals and equally there's then frustration with the managers that lads are doing this, lads are doing that I mean it was interesting that um, earlier on in the season I was having a chat with Andy Payton who used to play for Burnley and mm. Celtic. He was manager of Garstang, uh, who were in our league. And, you know, I think he lasted about six weeks there. But we played them in the fourth game of the season and we were having a chat, as managers do, before the game. And he was talking to me about his frustrations that I've got lads on the stag do this weekend. Two of my lads went to the races last week. And I said, Andy, welcome to this level of yeah, football. Well, that, welcome to that, level six. But that's what it's, what it's all yeah. about, you know. You, you're asking lads to give up a lot of time. And, of course... All these young lads, especially, they're under a bit of peer pressure as well. That all the mates might say, "Look, we're going to the races this Saturday. Why don't you come with us?" And for some of them, it's like, "Well, yeah, I quite fancy doing that. You know, I'll give football a miss this week." And mm. you know, I wouldn't dream of doing it. You know, my wife's the first to say to me, "We can't." She knows we can't have a holiday in the football season. It's just not going to happen. She wouldn't book a weekend away or anything like that because she knows she'd go by herself. <laughs> but. I think I've, you know, we've got to accept that lads' mentalities are a little bit different. We're working with a different generation, and there's more for them to do as well. And if I was regimented and said, well, if you go to the races and don't expect to play again, I'd have half a team. Yeah, sure. And you talk to managers even at a higher level than, than we're at, and they all experience the same kind of difficulties. Unless you've got a lad on contract and he's been paid decent money, then you've got to accept that probably this is 
it is a hobby for them as well. Yeah. And in terms of the obviously the COVID lockdown, have you kept in touch with the players? Have you been sending them training routines, or do you need to, or have you just how, how have you how have you dealt with that? Well, we have a WhatsApp group, so all the players are on the WhatsApp group, so we have regular dialogue with them. Um, I try and give them an update once a week about what's happening, even if it's look lads, I can't really tell you much at the minute. There's not really anything, but how is everybody? How you're coping? Um, I know that they're all doing their own little training things. Uh, most of them have got Strava apps where we can actually see what they're uh, doing right. on things like that as well. Uh, Paul Royston, who does a bit of fitness work with us, um, Paul's given them set programs to do as well. Um, they can go and speak to Paul. But I think equally, the one thing that I've noticed during the lockdown, especially in the early months where you could go out and exercise once a day, that most of the lads were probably going out doing more exercise. You know, I saw a lot of them out on the bikes, running, um, so we're anticipating when we do get the go-ahead for pre-season training to start again that actually the work will be more about ball work, mm. systems of play than rather than getting yeah. these lads fit. You think as well. they'll be they'll be pretty fit when they get there? Yeah, and of course they've been out the pub for <coughs> three months as well, so yeah. that's been a big bonus. <laughs> yeah, so that's right, and no fast food. Yeah. Um, so looking ahead now, how what anybody listening to this? How can they help Steeton? Is it as is it as simple as? Please come and watch a match. Or, well, that's the start of it, Chris. You know, just getting people down to watch. And again, one of the things that I instill in the players is that once the game has finished, that they've got to applaud the spectators. And it's been a different mind shift for them because they've gone from playing in front of one man and his dog mm. to now, you know, maybe 100, 200, 300, depending on on where or who we're playing. And if people are paying to come to watch you, even though it's only five pounds or you know mm. a couple of quid if you're an OAP that they're actually giving their hard-earned cash to come and watch you. So you've got to thank them and you've got to try and engage with those supporters as well. Um, and there's nothing gives me more of a sense of pride than actually see, you know, I'll walk around Keithley or something, I'll see somebody wearing a Steeton scarf or, you know, got a Steeton shirt on, you know, because it means they're engaging with us and they're enjoying what we're doing. And I've always said what I want Steeton to be is an all-inclusive club that is a club that's there for everybody. So if you want to get involved as a a supporter and that's all you want to do then great but what I've found which has been fantastic is some of our supporters and sponsors have really backed what we're doing as well for example when we were in the county amateur uh, there was a guy called Martin Baker from MB Services who got involved with us a little bit of a sponsor he took an advertising board out um, similar in a way to how I got to know you Chris mm. then he started getting a little bit more interested in what we were doing um, his last couple of seasons He's been pretty much home and away supporting us with his lad. You know, he's a big Man United fan, but he got a bit disillusioned with what was happening at Manchester United. And he said, do you know what? He said, I get more pleasure travelling to Blackpool away to watch you guys than I do going to Old Trafford nowadays. Because mm. he said, everyone's doing it for the love. It's not for the money. You know, yeah. these lads, are they're working all week and they're coming in and they're putting a shift in. Um, and Martin has been absolutely fantastic for us because little jobs behind the scenes, you know, he's managed to uh, to actually pick things up for us because he's got his own haulage company. So things like pay boxes, he's managed to pick that up for us. He's managed to source a kitchen from somebody he knows because we're going to need uh, mm -hmm. sort of a hospitality area all kitted out, you know. So it can grow. And now Martin talks about things as us. You know, when I speak to him, he's yeah. like, we need to do this. Or, yeah. you know, that means he's part. he feels part of the Steeton family. So... You know, if you want to come down, people want to volunteer. Um, you can get involved in it. And 
you know, I know you watch a lot of non-league football, Chris. And I think one of the great things about non-league football is you can get involved. You can be involved in your team. Mm. You know, after the game, the players come in and they have a drink, even if it's only a coke or an orange yeah. juice. They all come in and have a have a drink. They talk to the supporters. Everyone's easily accessible. You know, yeah. anyone can come and talk to me at any time. Um, and then also get involved. You know, we've had people come in. Um, for various reasons or another, doing the kit men job now. You know, then we've got a guy who just sort of looks after the stewarding. And they're all people that a few years ago were never really involved in Steeton, but they've come in, they've got involved, they like the friendliness of the club and they feel part of it. And, you know, so it's it's just a great way of life, non-league football, because mm. you, you meet like-minded people that are there for the love of the game. They're not in it for any sort of uh, self-gratification or self-promotion. They're there because they love football and they're doing it for nothing. Mm. Um, and that, that, that's part of it. So, you know, I would say to anyone that wants to get involved, come down, come and watch a game, and, and you know, hopefully you'll get hooked and we'll see you back down there. But equally, for businesses as well, if any businesses want to get involved with us, then, of course, that would be fantastic. Mm. And I know in the current climate, that's very difficult for a lot of businesses, yeah. as we've uh, just touched on. But without financial input as well, it's very difficult for us, you know, it, yeah. it is. And but, but you don't know the networking opportunities, do you? I mean, you know, as you know, we've had a long association with Geisley. Why is that? It isn't just because I like non-league football. It has been beneficial to us as a practice uh, because there's a lot of support and a lot of businesses mm. connected with it. So, you know, hopefully somebody here in this who runs a business, particularly somebody up the Air Valley, ideally, will will uh, will hear this and think, hey, I'll, I'll go and have a look. So, look, Roy... Good luck next season whenever it starts down at Marley. Uh, only five minutes from, from, from where I live. I'm sure I'll be coming yeah, this season no, to watch you. But uh, thanks for your time today. If anybody wants to contact you, Roy, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, probably the best way to get hold of me is via email. And uh, my email address is mason at steetonafc.co.uk. Just drop me an email and, uh, you know, we'll have a chat. And, uh, you know, we'd welcome anyone on board. And thanks for having me today, Chris. Really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thanks, Roy. Uh, all the best. Thanks very much. <laughs>